This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. What happens if you have real talent and are highly motivated, but there are few role models who look like you? What challenges can this bring to reaching your full potential? Coming up, a dynamic and far-reaching conversation with Angie Byun, a female Korean-American luxury and international media executive. You'll hear the mindset tools that she's used to be her best self when working as a lawyer, a professor, White House alum, as a popular speaker, and as someone traveling the world doing a lot of high-powered things, and as head of international business development innovation collection at Condé Nast. Plus, you'll hear an intuitive reading featuring clouds and why the victory pose is pretty much everything. Welcome to the All Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Angie, I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks, Julie. It's such an honor and privilege to be here, and I'm so happy to see you. Yay. So I knew Angie from many years ago, it feels like. We were doing a fellowship program together. It was a leadership program called Coro, Leadership New York. And so it's been a while since we've connected. This is just a wonderful opportunity to hear more about your story and to to give you a mini reading, a mini intuitive reading. That's something that we've been talking about for a while. Yes. Very excited. So Angie, let's start off. I know you work at Condé Nast and you do a lot of work in international business development around so many different countries. Tell us how you got to that point. It's very, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And and what were the milestones to get there? Um, Yeah, so this, actually this week marks my 11th year with the company. Um, I've been there for many years now and I feel like... um, over the years, uh, I really um, got to know so many cool people and um, just experienced so many great things that little by little, step by step, um, it has really led to um, where I am now. Um, but to go backwards a bit, uh, I uh, went to Berkeley for college and Wisconsin for law school. And during that time, um, the dot-com boom was in full force. And I really thought um, after law school that I would work at a startup. Um, And so I did actually. I worked at Napster um, right out of law school. And it was, I mean, it was great. It was everything you heard and read about. It was like the ping pong tables and the video games and everyone driving in their, you know, college dropouts, driving in their Ferraris, um, working at this great startup. Um, But what ended up happening, as we all know, was Napster um, was getting sued by all the record labels. every major record label, and eventually it bust. Um, And uh, it did get bought out eventually by um, various um, uh, record labels. But at the time, I thought, you know what, I need to hunker down and go into corporate and work um, um, in a more stable environment. So moved out to New York from California um, right after 9-11 and uh, started my career in New York um, at uh, various law firms, Worked as a corporate lawyer for about three years um, at places like Paul Weiss. And um, then from there, I went to Jones Apparel Group. Jones Apparel Group, uh, I started there in the early 2000s, um, was at the time one of the largest um, apparel manufacturing companies in the world. And they owned brands like Jones New York, Ann Klein, Nine West, Barney's New York at the time, which was amazing. Um, and you get a lot of free stuff. Uh, we had a corporate <laughs> discount, which was um, just phenomenal. Um, nice. And probably one of the reasons why I stayed for so long. Um, just kidding. No, <laughs> it was such a wonderful experience. And um, that's where I really understood the business of licensing, partnerships, business development, um, negotiating, um, drafting contracts. And I really kind of... Um, 
honed in my skills at Jones Apparel Group um, because I had really great bosses. I had really great um, colleagues. Um, was there for about three years. And then um, in 2006, I went to Condé Nast. Um, but when I started at Condé Nast, I started out as a lawyer in their newly formed um, business development group. Um, and from there, little by little, I, I just started, you know, to raise my hand more, become more confident in the business, um, in the media business, and um, and really stretch myself. So, um, you know, fast forward to today, I oversee the international business development for brands like Golf Digest, um, now Pitchfork, and Ars Technica. Um, and I am now part of um, this newly formed group, which is what we call, what we're calling the Innovation Collection. So the Innovation Collection consists of most of the men's titles um, from Condé Nast. What's it like being Asian mm -hmm. and also a woman in this particular field, and especially as you're working on men's yes, magazines, yes. right? Or wait, or, I'm Asian. No. <laughs> um, oh. You know, it's interesting. It's um, I grew up in San Francisco, and um, it was such a wonderful, diverse environment in which to grow up. I grew up in the city, and so I've always grown up in these like urban environments. Um, and there's was has always been diversity around. Um, it wasn't until I went to law school in Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin, right, where the population, I believe, is about 95% white, um, where I really felt like, whoa, I am Asian. I am like a minority here. Like this is um, eye opening. And um, but what I realized is I and, and in corporate America, I realized, um, you know, I have 99.9% .9 more things in common with you than uh, I don't. Right. So, yes, I have I um, my heritage is of um, Korean descent um, and I have had very interesting life experiences growing up in a Korean household. Um, and I understand both cultures, I think the American and Korean cultures um, quite well, where I understand the nuances between the two. Um, but in in this world, in this corporate business where, um, you know, things have to get done and deals need to get made. Um, yeah, I think being Asian American, being an Asian American woman, um, in the beginning in the surf on surface level, um, you know, people obviously sometimes have their own stereotypes. They're like, Oh, is she going to be, um, quiet or the dragon lady, or is she submissive or this or that? And people kind of sometimes have these preconceived notions. And I just, I try to emphasize in my business dealings. And I think I have a pretty high, um, EQ where I can sense if someone feels comfortable or not comfortable or, you know, ha has their own kind of, um, stereotypes of, you know, working with Asian women, um, that I can kind of suss out where we have commonalities, right? Like you like to work out, you like to play golf, you like to, um, talk about baseball. You know, I can, I've been pretty good over the years, um, in terms of understanding people, understanding, um, you know, where we can find commonalities, where we can ha share things in common. Um, but don't get me wrong. Like there are times where it can be quite challenging. Um, you know, you'll walk into a room. I remember one time walking into a room and working with some Russian folks and the guy was really, really just sexist. Like he was like, I don't negotiate with women. I don't like doing business with women. And I was the only woman in the room. Right. And so what do you say? What do you do? And, and, and in, a, in your head, you're like, man, I don't know what to tell you, brother. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like this, I'm this, here. I'm here. This is the situation. Right. Um, but you learn to just kind of develop a really thick skin. You know, you have to. In this, in New York City, in this field, in media, um, I tell a lot of other Asian American women, a lot of people of color, like, you have to develop a thick skin. And it's not like we haven't grown up with a thick skin. I mean, I don't know about your parents, but my parents were pretty, um, they weren't you know, warm and fuzzy. They weren't like, <laughs> let me bake you a batch of chocolate chip cookies. And like, let's, let's talk about our day. You know, it's like, go upstairs, go study, like do something like, just like, 
So I think growing up in a Asian household with Korean parents, traditional Korean parents, like you develop a thick skin, right? Um, and so that's actually really helped me a lot throughout um, business because nothing really phases me. It's like I had a Korean mom um, and, you know, say no more, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, if you deal with difficult people, if you deal with folks who are, you know, sexist or racist or are classist or whatnot, it's like, eh, doesn't phase me, you know? And in um, a very confrontational manner, too. Right. Where they're, right. they're just saying things up front to you. This is this is how I see you. Right, right. And, you know, I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, so I work, as you mentioned, with these men's titles. And um, it's, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, you could work for any of the titles, which I all love, um, within the Kanye Nast portfolio of brands. Um, but... I was in charge of an event um, for Golf Digest. We had a tournament, um, a lovely, beautiful, crisp um, kind of summer day. And I had some um, potential clients um, uh, come out and we were playing golf. Um, we were a foursome. And the client, um, after he shot his tee shot, um, I think and it just subconsciously or inadvertently gave me his club, right? And, you know, thinking that I was a caddy, like just kind of like subconsciously, here's my club, you know, you're the only woman in our foursome. Here's my, and, and I looked at him and I was like, oh, whoa, hey, like, <laughs> oh man, you know, and this is like the first hole, right? So I think in my head, I'm like, man, I got like 17 more holes with this dude, right? But I tried to kind of, um, you know, I don't know, um, have a good sense of humor about it. And so I said, Oh man, you think I'm a caddy? No, this is golf digest. Like you're our guest. Like, you know, and you just kind of have to smooth, smooth, um, out, you know, the, the, the rough edges. Right. And so the second hole, this guy hit his tee shot and then, um, you know, didn't do it. But then when I hit my tee shot, I then gave him my club. Right. <laughs> so in a way it's like, you have to have a thick skin. You have to have a sense of humor. And to this day, we joke about it, right? He has since become a client and we joke about it. And we're like, remember that time? Um, but I think, it, you know, sometimes people are just clueless, right? Or people just, for whatever reason, you have to be empathetic, I find. You have to understand where people are coming from. Maybe they grew up in a country where, um, they don't see a lot of women executives or maybe they are in, you know, they have never been exposed to it. So, hey, maybe I'm the first one. And, you know, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to try to um, be empathetic and also try to work with you um, has always been my stance. I like that because there are so many different ways that someone can respond to that. Mm -hmm. And you chose the empathetic kind of diplomatic sense of humor approach and and that then leads to relationships. Yes. And and ultimately business, right? Yes. But but really it's relationships. I think so. I think so. I think um uh, you know, people generally mean well. You know, people generally are in their core kind and nice and want harmony and want to be diplomatic, but for some reason maybe the execution isn't quite there. So I have found um, communication is key, right? And sometimes it's not verbal communication. It's just like people's body languages. You can read people's body languages and you can tell if someone is really comfortable or not or if they, um, you know, are in defensive mode or, you know, don't want to talk. And, and so understanding that I think um, is important, um, particularly as a woman in business. What are some tools that you use, and you've already mentioned a few of them in just kind of calling upon your EQ and and observing how people are in a mm -hmm. room, but what are other tools that you use to, to help you either cope with or get ahead in mm -hmm. business, mm -hmm. uh, especially in what I'm assuming is a very fast-paced environment? Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you kind of psych yourself up for each day? Yes, that's a great question. Um, so I think uh, in New York, you know, it's doggy dog, it's cutthroat. People, I mean, people are here for a reason. They 
are ambitious. They want to, you know, um, be surrounded by really awesome people and who have like 101 things going for them and are super just driven, right? And in terms of tools, I found um, that you sometimes just need to be the one who's proactive. I find myself being the one that extends my hand to shake it. I'm the one that introduces myself first. I'm the one that um, asks for your business card or asks to keep in touch. I'm very, very um, proactive in that sense. And um, I think too, uh, you know, sometimes people will kind of be taken aback or they won't expect it. But I think um, there is a part of me that is trying to defy stereotypes where I'm not going to be the shy, the polite, the quiet um, woman. I'm going to be the one that wrangles people. I'm going to be the one that really kind of um, lets you know that I'm I'm in the room. Um, a woman, a really great woman by the name of Renetta McCann gave me some really great advice. And she was the, or uh, yeah, she is um, at Publicis Group. She was a former CEO of um, Starcom Media Vest, one of the largest advertising agencies in the world. And she said, sometimes you're the only woman of color. Sometimes you're the only woman in a room and you could be with, um, you know, 10, 15 other people. Right. Um, she said, don't, um, don't sometimes wait till like the 15th or 16th question for someone to get to know you. Like you need to walk into a room confidently and let people know who you are. Um, I think sometimes that's hard as an Asian woman, cause we're taught like be humble, you know, be polite, like be respectful in terms of just um, elders, right? But I think in business, it's like people want to know who you are and why you're in the room and what value you bring. So don't wait um, for someone to kind of unravel the onion. Like from the get-go, you should tell people like, I'm Angie Byun. I head the international group at Condé Nast and I'm so happy to meet you. Like really just kind of get your elevator pitch down, um, practice it and, uh, and really be confident. Right. And that's hard to, hard to do. And it's easy to say, but it's hard to do, but you really do have to kind of practice. And, um, so I think those are a little like tricks of the trade or tools that, um, I could, you know, just advice for women, um, women of color in the working world. <laughs> That's, I love the the idea of don't don't wait for other people to peel the onion, mm-hmm. and that's definitely a a metaphor that we use in, in kind of the spiritual world of just like how many layers there are. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, kind of shifting gears a little bit, have you had any experiences that you might consider as spiritual? Or, or kind of moments where you feel like you have tapped into something that just seems bigger than you? Um, I don't know if you could tell, Julie, but I am a people person, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I love meeting new people. I love meeting strangers. I love meeting, just like, I just enjoy it. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like this sense of community that I've always just loved and um, maybe coming from a big family, I'm used to like the noise and the um, just being surrounded by people, no matter who they are. Right. And for me, I find, you know, spirituality in two extremes Um, in terms of spiritual moments. There's something about a gathering of people or a community of people coming together and either laughing together or singing together or dancing together, which I find to be really spiritual. It's just like, feel sometimes there's a little wine involved, but like, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's something about, you know, even if it's like a karaoke night, right? Like everyone is just having the best time belting out those tunes, you know, whether it's like Hotel California or Bon Jovi, it's like something about, this like letting go that I find to be very spiritual, you know, like where no one has their guards up and they're just like in the moment and just loving life. That's what I love. I love for me, that's like very spiritual. And then on the flip side, 
for me because I travel a lot and my work entails meeting so many different people, so many cool people. And it's a lot of um, meetings and, you know, client entertaining that for me on the flip side, it's being quiet, being all by myself. Um, Sometimes it's just being in a library and just getting, um, you know, some work done in the library all by myself. Or it's um, what I love to do, absolutely love to do, is if I have time when I'm traveling and I have um, one or two hours of free time, I'll go to a museum. And for me, that is just like going to church. It is like very spiritual for me. I'll look at a painting and just get lost in a painting. Um, and so that to me, it's rare. It's an absolute luxury, but I absolutely love it. Why is it rare? Because of the time. Yeah. It's, um, and museums, man, they've got some funky hours. It's like nine to four, <laughs> nine to four. True. And like, we're closed on Thursdays and, <laughs> and like, Mondays. Yeah, it's like, so it's like, oh my God. Oh. And the other thing too, it's like, who knows what kind of, um, exhibits are happening. Right. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's hit or miss or, ooh, it's, um, you know, for me, it's like, oh my God, Calder at the Whitney a couple of weeks ago. Genius. Yes. Love it. You know? And so it's, it's, that's the rarity of it. It's the time. It's the, um, the particular artist that's, um, you know, but actually it doesn't really matter which artist It's just having the time and just getting inspired by these creations that other folks have made, which is, um, really a spiritual kind of, um, journey for me. I love knowing the two sides of you mm-hmm. <laughs> because I see I see the people side mm-hmm. a lot and mm-hmm. just knowing that there is this this very contemplative um just you by yourself which I would never imagine and that's where you kind of recharge or gain energy or just be very present in a very different way both I'd say are being present um but each one kind of has a different ambiance to it so beautiful coming up next you'll hear more about some of these tools that angie has which i know she has a lot more than what she's just shared um, so that you can really be in charge of your life no matter what situation you're in and you'll also hear a intuitive reading that i'll share with angie Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. You know, if you're like me, you're probably traveling a lot this time of year. And for all those frequent travelers among you, check out Sennheiser's PXC 550 Premium travel headphones with 32 hours of battery life noise cancellation and stunning sennheiser sound it is a perfect travel companion and you can get it on sale during the holiday season plus get 25 percent off when you visit sennheiser.com and use code mouthmediasen at checkout that's mouthmedia s-e-n-n during the break angie went into a victory pose and this is something that we have a good laugh about because i know this is one of the tools in your toolkit why don't you tell us more about some of the advice you have for for people regardless of whether they're women or or asian women in business what would you recommend for people to really um, center into themselves. Where do we begin? <laughs> Julie, um, I, so I teach, um, at Fordham Law School and I also speak at, um, various symposia. Um, I just spoke at Harvard and Princeton, um, a couple months ago and, um, Young people often ask, like, Ange, I would love to get into media. I want to work in New York City. Or, and, I, and I have um, a couple of, like, 
I guess, bits of advice for folks. And I think particularly if folks want to come um, to work at Condé Nast or they want to come to New York or want to work in a big corporate environment or any environment really, um, is to first and foremost become an expert in something, right? Like how are we so confident? Because we're experts in our respective industries and experts in terms of knowing the business inside and out. So once you have mastered the business and just learning and being a student of the game, it builds your confidence, right? But how do you present that? How do you present all this information? How do you communicate that? Um, I think it's really, really important uh, for young people, for anybody really, is um, how you present yourself, right? Um, Presentation is huge. And many people come in um, looking for jobs or interview, uh, want to interview. And, you know, what I look for is eye contact, um, vocal tonality, a really good handshake, right? Sometimes you'll meet someone and they've got the clammiest handshake and that <laughs> – Julie, that is like my biggest pet peeve here. It's like, why? Like, why the limp, down? The limp. <laughs> the limp handshake. <laughs> and, um, you know, or they're not, you know, they're not really presenting themselves um, in a way where they um, are reflecting their best self, right? If you are going to play golf, you wear your golf outfit. If you're going to a boardroom, you wear your suit. If you're going to a fashion show, you um, wear something that's pretty fashionable, right? I think um, being savvy about that, being sophisticated to um, understand the various environments you're in, I think it's really important. And um, people take note of it, right? It's like if you know you, um, you know, it you, it makes you feel uncomfortable to have really long-lasting eye contact, um, look in the mirror, practice, um, you know, and, and because I'm saying this because you're not just competing with your, yes, you're competing with yourself, but you're competing with so many smart, wonderful, educated people, um, savvy folks um, from all over in New York. So to have an advantage, to have that tool, um, there's that, the, the initial presentation. And then here's the thing, the follow-up, really all about follow-up, right? And what I found in New York is people are really busy, right? They want, they have the best intentions, but oftentimes they just, for whatever reason, you have fallen off someone's radar or you haven't heard back from someone. It's up to you to follow up, right? A thank you note, a thank you email, um, a phone call, uh, a nudge, right? A friendly reminder. I think sometimes people will think like, oh my God, I never heard back from so-and-so. Like, God, that's so rude. You know, but at the end of the day, it's not personal. It's just people are super busy. I mean, this is like the most fast-paced environment in the world. People are busy. You often have to be the one to nudge, right? You often have to be the one who makes the initiative. And it's not um, personal, not personal one bit, right? People are just caught up in their own lives and their own um, responsibilities and their own goals and ambitions that um, sometimes you have to remind them of how excited you are about an opportunity, excited you are to be of service to them. That's the other thing, Julie. What I've learned over the years, too, is um, the my um, stance has shifted tremendously where when I first started out um, as a lawyer and when I first started in business, I always thought like, oh my God, I just want to do this. I just want to become CEO. I just want to make it. And it's like, no, 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 no. The mindset should be, how can I provide the best service to you? That's the name of the game. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's like, how can I, with the tools that I have, with the expertise that I have, how can I provide to you as a colleague, as a client, as a friend, the best service? And in doing so, everybody wins. Everybody, um, you know, benefits from it versus me, 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 right? It's like, no, 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 no. At the end of the day, the secret is, is how you have influence, how you have authority is you provide the best possible service and you provide solutions to people. Um, those are my tools in a nutshell. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's giving it's 
ultimately that's how you build relationships, true, meaningful relationships. It's not just what can I gain from you or in that moment, it can be very transactional. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I feel like the secret is, is like, actually I'm benefiting more when I give more. It's like, you realize like, oh my God, giving is actually really selfish too. Cause I love the feeling. <laughs> I love it. Right. It's like, you know, when you give a gift, you're just like, Ooh, I love people's reactions. And so in a way it's like, you want more of that and it becomes, um, exciting. Right. And kind of like you, Julie, like, well, maybe not like, I don't, I don't know, like all of your, um, your background history, but for me looking back, I'm like, I lived I have lived a really privileged life. I have been blessed with great family, great parents, great friends, and wonderful, wonderful colleagues and bosses over the years that for me not to give, it's like, no, mm -mm, not happening. This is like, I'm at that stage now where I'm the mentor. I am the sponsor. I need to... Um, shepherd people through the process and really, um, you know, help people. And, um, you know, at one point in my career, I was talking to maybe about like five, six years ago, I was talking to a woman um, named Gloria Hall, African-American woman. And I said, you know, Gloria, I just wish at my company I had a sponsor. I wish someone would like really help me and, and kind of like, tell me which direction to go into, right? Or like really kind of have my back at the company. And she looked at me and she looked a little sideways and she's like, Angie, those people either don't exist or they've left, right? They're, they've retired, right? It's your time now. You need to be that sponsor. You need to be that mentor. You are now that generation. And a part of me was like, Oh shoot, you're right. Like, yes, yes. It's like, no, stop looking for that magic, you know, fairy godmother person who's gonna like, you know, embrace you and kind of just like, you know, like baby Simba, like right raise you up, right? <laughs> it's like, no, that person is no, you need to be that person. And essentially she was like, You need to step up and you be that person. And I was like, Yes, she's right. You know, I am um, I need to, you know, the millennials, it's not even the millennials anymore, it's Gen Z, you know, it's like these guys are the ones that I need to say, hey, um, these are some opportunities, come on up, let's go. Um, so that was, that was quite um, an interesting t uh, conversation I had and one that has always kind of, um, one that I have just kept in the back of my mind. It's a good shift in perspective to go yeah. from kind of looking out for that person to help us like that, that person ahead of us to, mm -hmm. to move us along and then realizing that, wait, that's, that's me. So it's almost like the energy then comes back to you and, and now you're in a position to empower other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how much experience you have either. Like, well, I realized early on, sometimes you will not get invited to that party. You will not get invited to that meeting. That's fine. That's fine. You know what? You create your own party. You create your own meeting. You invite people. Um, because I, I sometimes feel like, you know, as Asians, Asian Americans, Asian women, Asian American women, <laughs> no, it's, you sometimes feel like, um, oh, I'm not in a position to do that, or I don't have the authority to do that. It's like, unless someone's actually saying downright, like outright, like, no, you can't do that. It's like, go for it. What's stopping you? It's just, you know, maybe something in your own head. But I think a lot of times it's like, unless someone is like threatening you with your life or, you know, is saying you, you absolutely cannot do that. That's illegal. It's like, no, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is someone says no, right? Um, but I have also thought, or I have also come to the realization that no is always not a no outright. It's a no for now. It could be a no, we don't have the budget or no, I don't have the authority to say yes. Right. So sometimes, you know, you'll get rejection letters, you'll get rejected by people, but it's often not 
And it often doesn't have to do with you. It has to do perhaps with the other person, you know? And so understanding that too, over the years that, mm, you know, no, sometimes just doesn't mean no outright. Um, so I, uh, I try to, you know, if, if someone says, Angie, we really can't do that. Or, you know, and I always say like, you know, can we do this instead? Or can you, you know, you just want to offer solutions really. Or do it and ask for forgiveness later. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think so. I think so. And what about the victory pose? Tell us about that. Okay. This is um, taken from Amy Cuddy's book, Presence, right? And um, in her book, she talks about, um, you know, people who um, do this like victory pose, which is typically like what you see when marathoners win a race. Um, when Usain Bolt wins, he has this like hands in the air and is like, yes, victory. Um, I think I, I'm just paraphrasing from her book, but um, people who do that before a big meeting or before a big speech or anything kind of big, it's like you're setting your mind and your body up for victory, right? And so it's like this feeling of like, I got this, I'll boo do boo. That with you. Mm. Yes, yes, <laughs> victory. victory. And so I find myself doing that um, when I have a big meeting or when I have a big speech or even just when I want to give somebody a hug. You know, it's like I am happy to see you. Um, and I and it's kind of like this confident, right, pose that you're saying, like, I'm open to the world and I am with my arms stretched out, like I'm ready to take everything all in. And um and it's it's just great. It's just just kind of like to psych your mind a bit, you know, get get prepared for kind of, you know, whatever you think might be challenging. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You can do it anywhere. You can do it, you know, in in the in the restroom before your meeting when that's you're, what I do. You know, really that's what I do. That's and what you do. most people are like, who is this crazy lady? But <laughs> <laughs> Or in your cubicle. Yes. Right? <laughs> I know, I do it in the car, I do it in the restaurant, like <laughs> Um, I should do it before every golf stroke, though, too, just to kind of get excited about or get psych myself. Yeah, yeah, it works. Mm -hmm. It works. Okay, so let's shift gears. I'm excited to share an intuitive reading that I did for you. So how it works is that I've already done it beforehand. So I just focused on your name and email address. And then I used my... Strongest intuitive sense, which is clear audience, which means clear hearing. And I'm fully conscious at my laptop and I just hear thought impressions and I'm typing. It's channeling. Oh my that, God, so exciting. I love that look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just hear words and a lot of it comes out as a metaphor. I think because metaphors just are so jam-packed with nuances, with information that can be applied in any situation. And... And so I'll, I'll keep typing and then I might hear, okay, it's time for an image. So I'll close my eyes and I'll actually see a scene, like a streaming video. It's not, and it feels as if I'm there. And sometimes it feels as if I'm you, kind of that like perspective. And I might feel emotion, I might see things, I might know things, and then, then I'm back to typing. And I, you know, write out what I saw, what it meant. And then for everyone, I get an action step. So this is something for you to reflect on, to journal on, because ultimately we, we change our future when we are in action, in the present moment. Um, I, I ascribe to the, the kind of intuitive who, who doesn't quite believe in everything prescriptive. Like I don't like it when someone tells me, you know, this is going to happen in your future because mm -hmm. I don't I don't really like touching that area. Mm -hmm. I think that we are all empowered creators. And if we set our minds to do something and have an intention that we that we can shape that, that, that we have that abil ability. And so the question that I ask and I can technically ask any question um, for some of my kind of longer term clients, I ask specifically, what is your life purpose? And that goes into five pages and hours and hours of, of actual reading and coaching. So the purpose for the purpose of this, I asked, what is the highest guidance for you at this time? Meaning, what is the one thing that I can share with you that can help you align with you on your 
on your soul level, mm-hmm. you, you at your truest self. Mm-hmm. And that can help you move forward in whatever way that you need to move forward. And usually that just requires a kind of a connection to a state of being that present moment that then allows you to see possibility that allows you to kind of be in that presence mm-hmm. that you just talked about that victory pose okay so are you ready any questions i sure am All oh right. my goodness i'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, a few more notes one is that everything's written in third person so it refers to you as angie she okay. her just so you know and every so often there are words that are in all caps so that means it's just these particular words are capitalized, they're just emphasized, they're more important. And my visual signal is I'll just put my fingers up like this. Mm-hmm. And for um, our listeners, I'll say the word and then all caps okay. so that uh, we, we all can follow along. And just allow yourself to absorb the imagery, follow along in your mind, um, feel whatever comes up. And afterwards, I'll ask you, how does this resonate, Mm -hmm. if at all? And what does it bring up for you? Mm. So thoughts, memories, ideas, feelings, whatever comes up. And this will be sort of a launching point for discussion. Love it. Okay. So for you, I asked, what is the highest guidance for her at this time? And it says, for her... It is about drifting along with the clouds. Imagine that there is a beautiful and serene vista in front of her. While distance is changing as if flying over these clouds, the clouds themselves look like they are barely moving. Mm. When she is present in that moment, just staring out at the clouds, when distance and time seem to fall away, she is in her element. What trips her up is when she starts noticing what's happening in the interior of the airplane, for example that takes her attention away from the ever-constant scenery outside. Reflect on when internal things distract her away from the external, meaning kind of the internal, meaning in the airplane, like the flight attendants, whoever's sitting next to you, it's all a metaphor for something else Mm. that shifts your perspective away from just the scene of the clouds. Mm -hmm. There is a serenity, all caps, and constancy, all caps, in the clouds. While they are indeed constantly changing and shifting, and her own perspective may be somewhat misleading because of the sheer distance traveled, None of that matters. And what that part means is it may seem as if nothing's moving when you're looking at the clouds, Mm -hmm. but in actuality, you're in an airplane and Mm -hmm. you're moving at, you know, 500 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. You are actually moving. Mm -hmm. It just looks as if it's not. So it says, while they are indeed constantly changing and shifting, and her own perspective may be somewhat misleading because of the sheer distance traveled. None of that matters. What matters is that there is indeed a constancy, all caps, and that she can get lost in that moment. And so the image I got for you is a continuation of this metaphor. She was sitting at the window seat in an airplane her view fully consumed by the beautiful and peaceful scene of blue sky and white puffy clouds below. She had her nose and face practically up against the glass, staring outside, taking in the view from her window, all caps, her unique perspective. 
It felt like she had the joy and awe of a young girl, staring out through this lens, like a girl peering into the magic of a shop window, or a girl staring into the magical world of the television. There is this play of the internal and external world where she can be enthralled and entranced, discovering something that is a feast for her eyes. And then the action step is to reflect on when the internal and external factors distract her. When has she connected with that inner girl who can look out the window with a sense of awe, discovery, and wonder? So that's the end of the reading. I'd love to hear how this resonates and what it brings up for you. So thoughts, memories, stories, moments, ideas, feelings, whatever bubbles up for you. Woo-wee, Julie Chan. Um, love it. This is like, you got it, girl. You got it. I mean, I travel. I was just like, yes, like, love it. Um, I travel about 10 times a year. And I like to sit by the windows and the planes. And I do always look out. Um, for some reason, I have to look out the window when we take off and land. And I love that feeling of when you're going into the air and going into the clouds. So when you brought up that imagery, I'm like, that is so me. And guess what? I often take pictures of being in the clouds because it's such a surreal experience. You're actually floating above the clouds. And um, when you said the vista, that's one of my favorites, taking a photo of the sunset or sunrise when you're above the clouds, when you're flying. Um, but the cloud metaphor is so um, interesting because it brought a lot of kind of feelings. Like I, for me, um, I've always loved being next to the water, but I've always loved looking up at the clouds. And I've always, um, when you look at pictures of myself um, uh, as a child, I'm always kind of looking up. Right. And I don't know if it's like just me being awkward or whatnot, but like <laughs> there's always these pictures. I'm just like looking up like, ah, like a, you know, kind of like a dodo bird. Right. <laughs> um, but clouds to me and growing up in San Francisco, as I mentioned, we have these like amazing blue skies in San Francisco and the weather is always like this nice 60, 65 degrees, you know, and the clouds are just I don't know what we call them, those type of clouds, but they're just beautiful. And I remember growing up in San Francisco when you were talking about the clouds, like as a young girl going to school, um, we had, we were um, a school on a hill. And so we'd always, um, my classmates and I, we would just like lay down on the hill and look up and look at the clouds. And um, yeah, it brings back so many great memories, so many great um yeah, dreams, you know, I associate clouds with dreams. I associate clouds with like those beautiful, like Rococo paintings and, um, ceilings and these like beautiful castles that are very whimsical. You always see the, the images of clouds. Um, so yeah, I think it's very, and to your point about the stuff happening within the plane. Oh, that is like, absolutely. You know, there's a part of me that's yearning for this serenity and solace and drifting away with the clouds. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, where is, what movie should I watch? You know, where's the um, flight attendant? I need to get my slippers. Like, <laughs> you know, or like I need to, I need to get my glass of champagne. Like, you know, it's just like things like that. You know, the plane metaphor is very interesting. Um, but I do find the plane for me is a way to escape. It is, um, you know, you don't have any access to Wi-Fi, typically. Um, you are forced to read or enjoy a movie. You're not thinking, you're not, you don't have, you're kind of, you don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. Um, and you're kind of in your own zone. So I, I, enjoy, I enjoy 
um, flying in that regard. Beautiful. I love the when the reading talks about connecting with yourself as that little girl mm -hmm. and the fact that you've you can immediately remember those moments when you're growing up in San Francisco and just on the hill and looking up at the clouds. That's you at your true self. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you can call upon mm -hmm. whenever you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If anything, I'd say when you can view the world through that lens, mm -hmm. that's when you feel most connected. Yes. Yes. I think when I was a kid, I, I still do this day have a very like kind of fun imagination, right? So when I was a kid, it was like, Ooh, is that a, you know, are those animals or is that a big old marshmallow? Or like, wouldn't it be cool if that was big giant cotton candy? Like you just mm -hmm. think about all these things when you look at the clouds. Right. And I try to instill that with, um, my son, with my, um, younger family members, like what kind of animal do you see? Or what, um, if, wouldn't that be great if that were just like a big, like giant, you know, fun um, piece of cotton candy, you could eat it forever or ice cream, like some of these clouds are just amazing. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, it, it brings back your childhood um, imagination, your childhood thoughts, um, kind of your pure thoughts. And particularly when it's like, these big old fluffy, you know, um, orbs of great, you know, goodness. I just love that. Yeah. And, uh, the, the reading also mentioned, it's kind of a way of seeing the world. So mm -hmm. this, like this idea of internal, which is sort of like the airplane and external, uh, the clouds. Mm -hmm. And you can also view that as you know, a little girl up at a shop window, mm -hmm. kind of the like the hubbub of the city and the streets, and then you look into this shop window, and it's kind of it kind of reminds me of the holiday season mm -hmm. and just the um, the beautiful scenes, dioramas, all of that. That's really magical. That's just right there. Mm -hmm. And and then it mentioned TV. It's kind of like the the worlds that we exist in here, and then the the television and what that. I mean, this is very old school, but like the box you mm -hmm. know, back in the day when it was this magical box where you look inside and oh, you yeah. see like, oh, there's a whole new world in there. Mm -hmm. So it's that um, that duality of the two. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say to to notice it, mm -hmm. notice it, notice when you are connected to the clouds mm -hmm. when you maybe allow life to distract you and so you're no longer looking at the clouds anymore mm -hmm. um and also keep in mind that what you had shared before about how you love that quiet time and going to museums that is you looking at the clouds mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. in those moments that's that's sort of why you're drawn to them yes absolutely i mean there are some paintings that I look at and I'm like just straight up mesmerized, right? You go to the Met Museum and you see that Jackson Pollock autumn rhythm and you can get lost, just like how you mentioned in the clouds, right? You go to the British Museum and you see a Turner painting and you're like just lost because the way they capture light, the way they capture just, uh, you know, the way they use the paint to evoke these emotions. It's, it's just like, wow, mind boggling as far as you looking at this and taking it all in. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely see the connection. Up next, you'll hear some quick final thoughts, but very pertinent as it's going to be about personality. We'll be right back. everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me 
at the American Enough podcast on the Mouth Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. So, Angie, I know you had a question for me Mm -hmm. about personality. Why don't you share with us what's on your mind? I sure did, Julie, because you have this kind of like psychic um, intuition and you're very in tune with um, people and um, their personality traits. And, you know, as I kind of think about myself and I think like, well, I'm, I'm pretty outgoing, I'm pretty confident, I'm pretty social. What do you think about personality as far as do you think it's a product of your upbringing or do you think it's like in the DNA like what would love to get your thoughts on this I love personalities <laughs> I love I love specifically the Myers-Briggs personality test do, have you ever taken it do you know what you I are? sure have I am are on you? that like influencer um spectrum on, on the spectrum I'm like dominant and influencer Mm-hmm. versus okay. the analytical and the um I forget the other one was but I I um I'm more on the that social side. Mhm. Okay. So how Myers-Briggs works is there's um extroverted versus introverted. Mm-hmm. So I, you're probably what well, what would you say? Extroverted. Extroverted. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's intuitive and then sensing. So this is sort of how you how you seem to just receive information and process it. Intuitive means you just you just seem to know things and you don't know how. Mm-hmm. Sensing you you kind of are in tune with all your senses mm-hmm. to receive information. Mm-hmm. Uh, more intuitive, more intuitive. Mm-hmm. So that means you're en, <laughs> and then feeling versus thinking. So this is just how you naturally gravitate towards. And you can be on a spectrum. You can be very analytical on mm-hmm. the thinking side. That's how you process and analyze information. Or you can rely more on your emotions, feelings. I would say I'm in the middle. In the middle. Mm -hmm. So you could operate as an F or a T. Yes. But I do base a lot of things on my gut too. So on that feeling side. Okay. And then the last is judging and perceiving. So this is how, how you naturally want to kind of resolve towards something. So a judger... Uh, I'm a judger, so I I like knowing, you know, yes or no. Are we, do we have our hotel booked? Do we have things planned out? Mm-hmm. And then the perceiver, you can just operate in this level of uncertainty. You can have all these different um, potential outcomes that mm-hmm. you hold in your mind mm-hmm. and you're okay with it. Oh, perceiver. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you are... I mean, this is sort of like very quick, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, you can take these tests online. Some mm-hmm. of them are free. Um, so it sounds like you're an ENFP or so, maybe ENF or ENTP. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm not, I like, I don't consider myself an expert on personality, but from what I know, actually my husband is an ENFP also. Way holler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, mm-hmm. he, I know he has... He's very extroverted, and yet he has introvert tendencies, mm-hmm. meaning he needs to have that quiet time to recharge. It's one of the few extroverts that um, that that actually require, you know, being at the museum or being by yourself or, you know, being connected to the clouds in that way. So I think in terms of your question, and, and just so people know, I am an INFJ. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of it is... I think a lot of it is um, upbringing. Mm-hmm. I'm like part of it. I mean, this is sort of like not really the answer, but a part of it is inherent in you mm-hmm. and just how you naturally gravitate towards things. And at the same time, your personality can change based on what is influencing you. Right. So I remember in terms of my environment, um, back in the day, I was definitely more of an INTJ, like thinking, mm. um, very connected to the analytical side only because that was, that was, you know, what required. was expected, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like required, mm-hmm. like that was what was important or prioritized. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I felt like I built that strength mm-hmm. and then over time realized that, you know what, feelings are important too. And so that became an unpacking mm-hmm. of, you know, have I, 
have I kind of put away the feelings because of what my family or my or the society or culture mm -hmm. states mm -hmm. and and I feel like everything is on a spectrum so mm -hmm. you can learn how to operate um, as an extrovert or as uh, someone who feels or thinks more or perceives or judges more and I think it's in everyone's best interest to kind of know where they stand currently and then see where they can, where their strengths and weaknesses are. Right. Right. I love it. Yeah. I think I have found too those um, tests, you start to realize like, oh, if that person is that way, then I need to communicate in a way that they'll be responsive or they'll understand because I'm, I'm the type where I'm like, just get over it. Or, Come on, let's go. Like, you know, like, what's the big deal? But if I'm working with somebody who maybe doesn't communicate that way or is more, say, analytical or more to your, um, uh, you know, judge, what was it? Judge, 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 yeah. judge, then I need to kind of be cognizant of that. And, um, cause I realize in business sometimes, sometimes I'll just have a one word answer. Right. And someone will say, Angie, like I just, emailed you three paragraphs of all this great information. How do you just start, why are you just so like yes or no to this? Right. So I've learned over the years, um, that you have to be aware of not just your own personality, but other people's personalities too. Um, but yeah, I find it so fascinating. I think birth order too is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, believe it or not, I think, uh, and people will laugh at this. Well, some people, um, but like when you're born, what year, um, it's a little superstitious, but like your horoscope or your like Asian, um, animal sign, you know, like I am an Aries and I'm a dragon too. So mm. it's like coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, you know, birth order, I'm a middle child. Um, and, but I have had really great, great parents as far as their personalities. Like my dad is very likable, very jovial, very nice and generous. And also my mother, my mother, it's interesting that, um, you know, we talk about this reading because on the one hand, my dad is very much of an extrovert and my mom is very much of an introvert. So it's like, and ha here I am. Right. <laughs> so something about the DNA, I think too, um, has been um, an interesting kind of exploration as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to understand where you stand mm -hmm. and also where, um, where the people you're, you know, working with or you're in your relationship with. It's, I, I found it very helpful to understand their personalities just so you can communicate, you know, know what the common ground is and know what's already, you know, how they're filtering the world in their perspective. So they yes. can kind of get through that. Yes. Sometimes that can be a barrier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, really listening to, you know, over the years, you start to realize like, you know what? I know nothing. I need to learn from everybody. And I need to just like take it all in and listen and really hear and, and absorb information. Um, which I find most executives, most senior people are so good at. They're so, so good at, they just take it all in and are quite patient and kind and are really active listeners. It's a good note to end on. So how can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about your work or follow you? Wow. Okay. Um, I have a website. It's called AngieBeyond.com, um, A-N-G-I-E-B-Y-U-N. And I'm also on Instagram. Um, and that kind of gives you a little um, snapshot of what I do from day to day on a day to day basis. It's just at AngieBeyond on Instagram. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Angie, for being here, for sharing all your advice. Uh, it's so wonderful to connect with you in this way. Julie, you are a freaking rock star. You're crushing it. I love you. And thank you so much for having me on. It is so good to see you in this environment. And I know your story. So bravo. Nice. And I want you to have a TV show. Oh, I my God. I can't wait for, for the that. love. Just kidding. <laughs> and for you, <laughs> think about what is your cloud. Mm. 
what is what is that moment for you where you feel like you can lose all track of time of distance and how can you get there maybe it's a museum maybe it's a painting maybe it's traveling and allowing yourself to be in that present moment but make that time for yourself before the year ends and until next time be on the lookout for all possibilities Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.